it's a shorter episode this week. That's fine by me. Oh, yeah. We, we, it's about time we treated the people to 40 minutes rather than one hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. I don't remember. How, also, have you started recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can okay, start you the episode with <laughs> okay. me saying that if you want. <laughs> Let's do that. Well, I don't remember how in the early days we managed to do an episode that was 40 minutes. I don't... What? How did we actually do that? I think we, we, we had fewer discussion topics. Really? I think. Still a lot of news was happening. And it was much more structured. <laughs> which is crazy, because if you go back, it doesn't feel like it was. But you definitely... No. ...were very good at just being like, and that's enough on that topic, let's move on to the next one. It, it, I mean, the sounds of things, though, I, we didn't really have, clearly, by the episode lengths in the olden days, we clearly didn't have that in-depth discussions if it's no. ending after 40 minutes. I think that's the that's the other part, is that our our minds have developed and we now have real opinions on things rather uh, than well, meme opinions on everything. That is true. Do you know, literally said the same thing last night. I uh, had my sister, ML staying over. Right. And we were, t- we were talking about the fact, and I said this, um, <laughs> said this to her, we got to the, we've gotten to the stage now where when the siblings hang out, well, some of the siblings hang out, right. a lot of the topic of conversation becomes dominated by family issues. You know, oh, we yeah, talk that's about the age, childhood yeah. and sort of deconstructing a lot of things. Yeah. And you realise that we're now, you know, the four of us in our, you know, kind of pushing 30s. And Graham, when he's been along in these family settings, right. he just sits there and has to hear all this, essentially, oh, no. group therapy. Yeah, you can't do the group therapy with people who don't need it. That's <laughs> harsh. With the last time we did it, I was sitting there being, being really aware that this is maybe the third time Oops. that he'd hung out with this particular group of siblings. And it's the third time that we're still talking about family <laughs> stuff. And contrasting that with the fact that, you know, he, his family's just totally chill like the biggest issue is that his dad smokes right yeah that's it yeah i mean that is it no i like it's uh. it is it's important for partners especially life partners and all of that stuff to get a, get a little bit of insight into the the whole family oh, for thing sh- for but, sure but he, yeah i'm sure they want it to be like one in four visits one in five <laughs> maybe where that gets not talked every about time. for some of it not <laughs> not the dominant topic every time you meet yeah no, but he is well aware of yeah, uh, yeah, family yeah, yeah. dynamics, seeing as he has largely been the focus of it in his absence, uh, spoken <laughs> off in third person. But uh, no, the other the other thing on the back of that was the reflection of, just as you mentioned, what did we used to talk about as siblings? You know, before we... The wrestling. <laughs> began to... The Pokemon. Analyse upbringing, ch- choices, all these different things that you, now as a grown adult, having these really interesting in-depth conversations. You know what? But then going back I got it. 10 years and thinking, what did we used to talk about? I don't remember. You used to get interviewed for like four or five hours per day by your siblings on which girl you were interested in and you were like uh, creating these wild fantasies to, to string them along in your lives. One thing you were referencing there was when I was 17... I was making it very public that I was texting six girls at the same time. <laughs> this was a, an open family secret that Colin was just a mad shagger on the text. Yeah, yeah, boy, oh, does he know how to text? <laughs> and well, that's that's it. It was just, whoa, you are you are good at that texting. Isn't that impressive? I mean, some people some people really do value that. Some people are heavy into um, text based relationships and that's cool well, good on them i mean in my own head i was just praying that one of them would make me not gay and it didn't work 
no, genuinely like that. That's why I did it. Oh yeah, no, I like it's it's it is it's absolutely valid, and that that's the that a big part of that is because you were so heavily told that being gay was so wrong that you had to try and yes. force yourself into these fantasy situations where you'd be rescued by Princess Charming or whatever. Well, I mean, um, Princess, uh, I think Louise Calder was her name. Oh yeah, very charming. <laughs> Hi Louise, how how are you? How's it going? But but yeah, but, I still have her on Snapchat. But aside from that, like when you're when you're younger, maybe we start. I think at at a pretty young age you start having like some political beliefs and you care about some things, but it's still not very well thought through for most people. Right. And I was one of those people, so discussions. I don't remember what we used to talk about, but it was it was just f- less important things as far as I'm aware. We we talk about a film for hours and we talk about a game for hours and stuff. Yes. Like that. Uh, and then we would maybe give a few minutes to impending nuclear disaster in North Korea. Yeah, yeah. And you and usually just make a joke about it as well. I think that's one thing which has changed is in the early days, it was a lot more focus was on, certainly from my perspective, trying to be funny. Yeah. And having this sort of masquerade of, because I was still very much STV uh, on the TV every every weekday at that oh, point. Boy. Oh yeah, you were. So there was definitely a a, a performance aspect, whereas now you're, it's, you're yeah you were the goofy reporter they uh, said to do the goofy things. I was very good at that actually. You were good at that. Yeah, but it, it was like saying, "Hey, you're bad at this. You're a bad reporter." They <laughs> gave you the goof. You might as well have been the gym teacher, you know. But no, that's that's harsh. Gym teachers are cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that was your was your gig was being the the comedy guys then you came over right. here and you were the comedy guy <laughs> but, uh, tr- exactly and i felt like it was for a long time was very much just the the performance aspect whereas now it's just an un- unfiltered largely unfiltered chat largely that, which yeah. is which is good i much prefer it but it does as you say mean the episode lengths not a show anymore have doubled yeah, it's not a podcast. Anyone out there listening to this, it's not actually a podcast anymore. You're just listening to a conversation. What on earth are you doing? What are you doing? Why, why, why are you, what are you doing to yourself? <laughs> there are shows that are actually produced by intelligent people with effort. And you will learn things in them. You will not learn anything here other than if you were living under a rock for the last seven days and missed the news. Yeah, we just read the news to you and then yell about it a wee bit. <laughs> exactly. Although, to be fair, you mentioned uh, how your political opinions change over the years. I remember even, oh, it must have been only a few years ago, having to Google what is the difference between left wing and right wing, because I always got them mixed up. <laughs> and and I was maybe mid-20s at that point, and that's fine. That's fine. But for years, it was very much just that, oh yeah, I, know, I totally know what's, what's going on. I totally have opinions on things. It's all words, so at some point you've got to learn what each of the words mean. I mean, some people still conflate... Uh, uh, liberals with with leftists and stuff like that. You know, it, it, all these terms they overlap and, well, not completely overlap, but they, they, they share they share different parts of themselves. Left and right doesn't necessarily mean what people think it means and all of that stuff. So you're fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Anyway, James, how are you? I'm all right. I was outside and they got a mild skin reddening. No sunburn though. <laughs> nice. Just because you were enjoying the sun? I mean, it has been chucking it down across Glasgow in the last uh, few days. And thunderstorms. It is really cool. I really love the very rapid transition from very hot weather to thunder. It's it's one of my favourite things. Oh, it's great. Uh, And it's happened to me twice this year where I've just noticed it, where I've been like, 
overheating one minute and then really enjoying a good thunderclap in the next. Yeah, there, there's definitely an element of thunderstorms I enjoy. And certainly on Monday in the east coast of Scotland in, in Fife, it was fantastic. But also to the extent that twice during the night I woke up with a with a with a shock oh. because the thunder was so loud oh. was right over the house i think i sleep through it pretty well i don't get i don't understand uh. i do not understand my sleeping cuz like I'll, I'll i'll wake up to nothing and i'll be like oh my goodness <laughs> nothing and then thunder happens all night and i'm like and okay, you, yes, this, you're fine yeah this is peace <laughs> well i'll tell you one thing which did happen cuz james i have had a long run of things breaking and then having to pay lots of money to repair them and this is a recurring segment. It, yeah, it is. And some people would just say, you know, that's life. I would say it's been a very bad run. And they would say, why are you talking about it on a very well-produced podcast? But I feel like this one is actually important because it will affect other people. Okay. So. <gasps> Did you break politics? I broke my car. Oh, yeah. That's, the, that's your car's name. It, he is called Politic. So. I was driving on Tuesday back from the office. Okay. I was working in, in Southampton. We came back on the plane, landed in Glasgow. Right. Boss dropped me off at the office where my car was, and I began driving on the motorway. And then about 50 miles an hour, the engine turned off for a, about a second, and then turned on. And then it, it turned off and kind of began shuddering to a halt. And I thought, well, that's that's bad. That's very bad. Okay. So I'm going to go over to the to the nearest Tesco, leave the car, parked it, and there's smoke, very light smoke, but it's coming out of the uh, the bonnet, and I lift the bonnet, and it smells Bernie. And I think, right. Right. That's not good. You don't want your car to smell like Bernie. Something has gone wrong. Uh, and you want to smell like Bernie Sanders either, because that would be very that, old. Technically, that was the joke I was making. I oh, tried I to see. just give the pronunciation a little bit of a hint there. But a bit of that, an E. hope that somebody in the audience caught it, but maybe everyone else didn't. But you've gone ahead and just, like, slapped that sandwich. <laughs> so Handprint right in the bread. <laughs> that's what happened. And uh, I, I pondered. I thought, should I just drive it home and see if it works tomorrow? And Graham, being the very smart lad that he has said, no, you should phone the RAC. And so I did. And after a few minutes on the phone, they said, okay, uh, thank you very much for getting in touch. We'll send a text confirmation once we know that someone's in the area. And I got a text. This is half past uh, 10 at night, by the way. I got a text and it says, thanks for your inquiry. Someone will be with you in 240 minutes. What? Yeah. And I thought, okay. I'm glad the response times are... So rapid. <laughs> so I thought, right, four hours on a Tuesday night in a Tesco car park. Mm-hmm. What what to do? And so I went and... Was uh, it a 24-hour Tesco? No, shut at midnight. Oh, so I got a banana. No. Because I hadn't had dinner. So that was my dinner on Tuesday night. And then I can went... Can you bought more than a banana? Well, there's nothing I could cook. So I was like, well, what else can I have? It was a whole Tesco, right? It was a whole Tesco, yes. There's a lot more than a banana <laughs> that you don't have to cook in a whole Tesco. I yeah, feel like you'd let yourself down no, there. Well, hold on. Hold on. Rewind. Four hours earlier in Southampton Airport, which is, I would argue, worse than Stornoway and Wick Airport combined. Okay. With one bar and one Costa, Uh and the bar's kitchen was closed, so my dinner or evening meal on my Tuesday whilst waiting for the flight was a half tub of Pringles, a Mars bar, and a brew dog. (laughs) So I was peckish. And yes, banana had to do. You could have at least bought the other half a tub of Pringles. I I, I could. Well, the other boss had the other half. Anyway, 
I probably could have bought more. I knew that I was going to be stuck in the car park I, for but even I didn't like 30 know minutes. And, I was, and there was a Tesco right there. I'd be, I'd be grabbing so many things. Okay, well, I didn't because I'd already eaten that passes the time. junk for, uh, for, for dinner. <laughs> so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to go to the gym. And so I went to the gym, which was around the corner. Oh, good, I had yeah. a, the, the longest gym session of my life. It was on the treadmill. It was on the bike. Uh-huh. I did the, the free weight stuff. I did all the funny, weird things I'd never do because I just had time to kill. And then at 10 to 2... I get a call and it's the RAC man saying, hi, I'm standing next to your car. Uh, oh, no. Sorry, that my last call out was 100 yards away. I didn't have time to tell you. So I leg it back to the car, <laughs> turn, on, turn on the engine. At least he waited. And we stand there, the two of us, and we look at the bonnet. And nothing, nothing is happening. And he's doing that thing of... No fire, no smoky nothing. smell. Nothing. And he's doing that thing of, are you, are you sure oh, dear. it was smoke? Are you sure it wasn't just... Moisture on the road. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Was it yeah. was it raining? Was it raining whilst you were driving? And I'm saying, no, no, no. It was. Yeah. It, it was. Were you smoking? So it was. It was totally dry. As I look around the car park, and everything is puddles and and is absolutely drenched. So, of, of, I mean, of course it was. I'm just lying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, okay, okay. He gets his equipment out. He goes into the car, mm-hmm. and he turns on the air conditioning, and the car starts sparking. And oh. shuddering and shaking, and he's like, "Turn it off! Turn it off!" Oh, turn, turn, turn off the Wait, aircon. He couldn't turn it off. He doesn't have that capability. He had gone to observe, and I was then sitting in the driver's okay, seat. Okay, you were in charge of the. Air. Okay, I thought he was just sat there in the passenger seat, having turned it on, being like, "Ah!" <laughs> no, I was uh, assisting. Anyway, at that point, he says, "Aha! I seem to have found the problem. It is right, good job. Your AC button." Now, this is why I say this is a public service announcement, because, dear listener, if you drive a car in Scotland, and like me, you don't touch your AC button, I I don't mean the 01234, I mean the actual button that says AC, if you don't press that button for, let's say, the whole year until the one or two weekends in summer where it's mildly hot... Okay. And you think, you know what, I'd really like some cold air. Actually, AC now, please, yeah. If if you go so many months without pressing that button, and then when you go and press it, what? the wheel that turns the thing, what? That, that makes the AC happen, huh? has been subject to wet weather, to grime, to dirt, for months on end, and then you go to press it, and it just sticks, because it hasn't been used. This wheel hasn't been used. Oh. And it begins to pull on the engine, and thus it cuts out. And uh, the RAC man was like, this is something which people in Scotland really should know, but they don't. They don't use their AC for months and months and months. And then they press the button. And then they press it and everything's glued together. Right, right. And the wheel's so jammed because it just hasn't been used at all that it breaks people's engines. That makes so much sense. That makes so much... We should know this. I should... I don't even have a car and I feel like I should actually know this. So he said, if you do have AC, you need to use it even just like uh, once a week just to keep that wheel turning. For anyone who's made it to the... The hour mark of this podcast. That's your homework. <laughs> Go press your AC button. Sorry, I know it's a long story. But anyway, <laughs> he said, yeah, good thing you did that. You called me because if you tried to drive that home, you might have actually just full on totaled the car. Wow. In full full engine replacement, everything needed. Oof. Uh, but what he ended up doing was he disconnected the AC uh, thing. So I still get, I can still like demist my car and I can get all the hot air I want. But if I want, yeah, you just can't make it cold. Precisely, yeah. So if I want to get a new AC unit, it's going to cost five hundred quid. Okay. And you know what? I think I will just wait. I will buy ice. Drive with feet in ice. R- right. I'll just have I'll just have some cold water, 
I can pour on my head if I really need to. And I'm putting it into the garage next Thursday so that the alternator belt can get uh, replaced. Um, because I obviously did do a little bit of damage to it yeah, naturally, driving naturally. whilst this thing was rammed. So that was my story. Uh, yeah, actual good idea. Tell the people. Oh, for sure. Spread the word. If you have not used your AC button for a long time, then... Press it. <laughs> I mean, press it at your peril is my suggestion. Because nah, right now, same th- right now, go to that, go in the motorway at at, at seventy. <laughs> press it. Uh, yeah, and oh gosh, I was just glad that I caught it when I did. No, that's a good one. Could you could you detect the problem now if you looked at your car? Would you be able to recognize? Oh, look at that gummed up wheel. No, no, I wouldn't have. There was no way okay. on earth I would have been unless I had done what he did. But he's the expert, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also said that he wants to quit because they're totally inundated with work, which would explain the four hour wait. Even at half past two in the yeah, morning. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Anyway, welcome to Seesaw Parade, your new car advice podcast. Yeah, which actually, to be fair, I don't have a car, so I, it's, I'm about as much of a specialist with cars as I am with the rest of the things we talk about. Yeah, and I'm a gay man, so uh, I know as much about cars as a child. Hey, no stereotypes. <laughs> what? I mean, but stereotypes are usually there because they are largely true, so. No. Anyway, I'm Colin, car expert. And James is over there. Yeah, gay expert. <laughs> he's pre- he's the one pressing the AC button in the passenger seat of this show. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you very much for getting in touch. You can do... AC? More like gay C. <laughs> Crack it. Hilarious. You can get in touch with the show at Seasoperate on Twitter, Seasoperate at gmail.com. And thank you very much for your patience and your grace End it. in listening end it. I, to the show. I finished the show. We're done. We're done. Yeah, the, Cancel. The show is actually just going to end here. This is episode yeah. 292. We are creeping up. Good number. Excellent number. You can tell I like symmetrical, you know, palind- palindromic numbers. Palindromic numbers, yeah. 292, and we are creeping up on the big 300 with Jared Butler as our special guest on that show. Was that a promise? What do you think? I feel like, what do you think? I feel like surely at some point we made a joke about who the guest on 300 was going to be. If you yeah. remembered, it was going to be Butler. Well, no. I, I only said that because he had did that film which was called 300. Because of his abs, yeah. No, he has I got 300 it, abs. I'm sure we've made that joke. There's 300 variations of his accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My kid, he's got, he's got more abs than accents. <laughs> And you are listening to Scotland's longest-running podcast just in history, and we will not hear otherwise. Yeah, go back 200 years, no podcast is running this long. That is true. And we are officially less popular than the RAC, uh, which, yeah, I'll I'll (laughs) take that. Even among their employees. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And we really do appreciate you listening to this absolute nonsense, which has become descended into something... Uh, far away from what it was originally intended in a coffee shop in 2015. Do you remember that chat? But intentions are l- less important than impact. Was it was it Gordon Street Coffee? Do you remember that? It was in town. It was in, it was somewhere in Central. Yeah, I don't remember where it was. Let's do a let's do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, let's do a podcast. And then we did it. Yeah, and it was mildly successful. Oh, yeah, and it was trash. <laughs> it, it is tra- like not trash. <laughs> it was trash. It was trash, and now it's not trash. Now we're at the level of maybe getting stuck onto the fridge. Right, right. We're like that 
we're like toddler artwork level of yes we'll take it gets that. put on the fridge but it's mostly because of sentimental value okay. not actual value okay well anyway in classic seesaw parade fashion we are back in consecutive weeks and um Ooh. wasn't a lot of news going on so no, there was there was tons <laughs> it's an exciting jammed show it is you can't miss it stick around we're talk about things like a film uh, and, a, and an Edinburgh Fringe Festival show getting cancelled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really hard-hitting stuff. Oof. But anyway, let's begin where all good podcasts should. Rwanda. <laughs> I mean, it's a very interesting country with a very interesting history. So. Okay, this is the news that government ministers in the UK have partially lost an attempt to keep secret a series of comments about Rwanda from a Downing Street advisor. So the High Court on Wednesday said some of what this advisor had told ministers must be disclosed over this Rwandan refugee policy. So dear listener, if you cast your mind back, this was uh, Priti Patel's harebrained idea to send asylum seekers and refugees to Rwanda to be either settled or processed or some stupid reason. Anyway, that was in the process of being planned, yeah. criticised very heavily by many people. And this advisor from within... But, and, the, and by many lawyers. For sure. And people who care about legal things. And, and you know, people who care about ethics. Yep. They, they criticised it too. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. lawyers for the government in this court case had argued that disclosing these advisors' comments would damage relations <laughs> with the African country. It's like so stupid. The advisor themselves, this was the one thing which had been previously revealed uh, on Tuesday. The advisor had warned ministers that the government in Rwanda tortured and killed political opponents. And that warning of political violence, which was disclosed on, uh, in court on Tuesday, is one of many comments from this expert which are currently secret. But the court have now said that some of these comments can now be made right. public. Yeah, some, not all. There's at least 10 that aren't being made public. Yeah, yeah, 10 which are... Uh, being kept confidential, uh, but the, which is just really encouraging, <laughs> indeed. But the others are uh, very much going to be put into the public domain. Uh, and this policy, by the way, this um, apparently worth 120 million pounds to Rwanda. This policy, which is aiming to discourage uh, illegal crossings in the English Channel, is still on ice until the court rules whether it's legal. So this is another barrier in the way. With six official comments featuring in next month's legal battle. So, James, uh, what's your what's your take on all this? The fact, first of all, that, as you would expect, the advisor is telling the government, hey, maybe the government in Rwanda yeah. aren't exactly the best people to be looking after the people who have fled yeah. violence, yep. war, yep. persecution, yep. because they straight up torture and murder people. It's not terribly surprising that even the advisors for this were saying, hey, just as a by the way, this would be a pretty dangerous plan to enact. Probably here's the reasons. Uh, it's not surprising that we, the public, are only going to hear about some of those reasons. Uh, it's also not surprising that the government wants us to not hear about them because it might damage relations with R- Rwanda or whatever. Whereas somehow they've got this idea in their head that 
it still would have been okay to do this, or it still is okay to do this, and that doing it isn't the thing that's going to damage the relations. If you hear, hey, this nation's done a bunch of bad things, so bad that we can't tell the public, and your answer is, well, we better keep working with them in the specific <laughs> way that will probably make those things public and therefore damage relations. It's You're wrapping your head around an impossibility there. Right. There is no way to, to, to be doing this thing ethically while not worrying about damaging relations of a country, if you've had this advice given to you and the, the advice is of the interest of the, of the public as well. It's, 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 well, well. it's the same gymnastics of brains that you see from conservatives across the board. Yeah, so the, the, what's really interesting here is the judge said that the 10 comments which have to be kept secret are being kept that way because if they were released, they would do serious damage yeah. to relations with Rwanda. Yeah, and if they cared about that, they 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 would have just not started doing this yeah. this sending sending asylum seekers there. If they really thought about relations as a thing that mattered, they would have taken the advice and gone, "Oh, let's uh, not try and make this central piece of some public interest." So clearly, they were warned that you know if they do this, it's going to these ten comments in particular. I mean, if they were told these things, they thought, "Right, this is obviously a terrible place to send people." but we can't share that with Rwandans because it's going to damage relations, and then doing it anyway, yeah. that just blows my mind. Yeah. But doesn't surprise me. It's the kind of thinking that you see from conservatives a lot where they just choose to believe a fantasy where they get to do the thing that they want and not worry about the definite repercussions. In this instance, being all of this advice, being of public interest and people finding out, and then Rwanda being upset because we are talking about all the bad things they do because countries don't like having their their bad things talked about i guess um but it doesn't work the conservatives chose to try and ignore the fallout from the situation and just push it through and this is just one of the many ways that there's been fallout of this situation and it's no surprise that we're finding out that they're just ignoring another one and hoping it will go away okay well elsewhere in uh, uk politics this week you'll be surprised to know that rishi sunak and liz truss are <laughs> still campaigning Still doing hustings up and down the country. They, they were it's taking ages, isn't it? They were in Perth on Tuesday. They were met with lots of oh yeah, they were protests by uh, Scottish nationalists. Yeah, the BBC got protested as well. That was a bit cringe. They did, yeah. Well, James Cook got some abuse from some lovely independent supporters, which was really doing their their image a whole lot of good. But Richie yeah, really helps their cause. Uh, indeed, has this week insisted he still has a shot at getting into Downing Street, despite polls <laughs> suggesting that Liz Truss has a big lead in this conservative leadership contest. Quite a big lead. So, you know, when when a 52-48 is a big lead, the, this is looking huge. Yeah, so it's 66-34. That's the latest poll from YouGov, a survey of 1,000 people. Yeah. Uh, this was also excluding undecided members and non-voters. So... It's going to be fifth of September. Yeah, I would like to. Know, I didn't. I didn't see how many were undecided. That does still matter, but it, I don't think an, even half of them being undecided would 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 change that big a gap in the polls. Yeah, and it's it's the kind of interview and the kind of quote you would give, even when when you know you're going to lose, right? You know you're losing, <laughs> and audiences know that. I still have a chance," said the man who knew he was losing. <laughs> That's basically it, and uh, so I do feel it's a. Uh, Almost a signal of you know I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep on going I'm gonna hold my head high, 
But yeah, this campaign is over, isn't it? Well, yeah, but but he knows that, and that's the point: is that he's now saying things like, "Trust's plan will lead to inflation," uh, because inflation is inevitable. Trust or no trust, she's going to make it worse, but it's inevitable. So he's he's right. And it means that the next time there's a leadership election and he still is interested, he can be like, look, I told you all about the inflation last time and you didn't listen. And it happened. Vote for me. The guy who would have had had inflation happen as well, but differently. Yeah. The other uh, political story was with uh, Labour, Sir Keir Starmer, who had revealed a new Labour policy on Monday and said that families would not pay a penny more on their energy bills this winter under his plans to tackle yeah. the rising cost of living. So he said that his proposals would save the average household over a £1,000, yeah. paid for in part by a big increase in tax on oil and gas company profits. But it, well, which is fair. Right. The government in response said they'd already announced a £37 billion package of support oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with bills, of course, set to rockets <laughs> yeah. over the winter. And despite the fact that we saw inflation go up to a record high this week, it's now over 10% in the UK. Uh, we the, the response from the UK government was, well, we're, we're still not going to do anything because we're really busy. We don't have a prime minister, really. Yeah, really. You know, when Boris has said he's resigning, he has to stop doing work, <laughs> which, you know, Sometimes I agree with. They, they shouldn't be able to do radical re- reform uh, in some ways, I guess, if they're not really the government anymore. But okay. I think when it comes to uh, helping people not die, I think the government needs to care even if it's somewhat of an interim PM ship. Okay. Um, however, Boris is away on holiday for the second time in the fortnight. So he is. They're not going to get anything done. Uh, Labour's plan is, of course, way better than the Tory plan. It might be the kind of Labour plan that the Tories inevitably do secretly pick up and copy paste and pretend it was their plan all along, but a month too late. Uh, but what 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 can Labour do? They can try and uh, introduce independent bills, and they can try and introduce bills as the opposition. But it has to go through the whole system. It, it very rarely does that happen fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not like it's not like they're going to get voted in to be the next Tory PM or something. Uh, so they, they they probably get a lot of positive headlines for having a good plan, and the plan has genuinely got broad support amongst Tory voters and stuff. But how does it become reality? Well, well I don't, I don't know. Okay, well, here's my uh, devil's advocate to this bill because I do think, or this proposal, I should say. Of course, it's a good idea because families are. There was a charity warning this this morning, facing a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, yeah, huge. It's crisis. bad enough that over the last few years we've been talking about struggling between heating and eating, but with energy bills going up mm-hmm. almost four hundred percent, people will die. Yeah, that's that struggling will become dead. <laughs> right, precisely. And but my my issue with Labour's proposal though is they talked about wanting to tax these uh, oil and gas giants more. But ExxonMobil, for example, they posted a $17 billion quarterly profit. Aramco in Saudi Arabia posted a $47 billion quarterly profit, which is just ungodly. Yeah. Even Russia posted a profit. Okay, but here's my, here's my problem. ExxonMobil, for example, who are known as ESO in the UK... Yeah, made a fraction of that profit. You're talking, well, maybe a hundred million. T- tiny percentages of the sales revenue in the UK. Yeah, made an absolute fraction of their profit in the UK. 
the vast majority was made in the US. The overwhelming majority was made in the US. I don't think that you can tax a company like that whilst they've got a UK presence on a global profit. And so whilst I think it right. whilst I think it plays well, and the same is true of BP, same is true of Shell, yeah, 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 these yeah, yeah. quarterly profits, no matter how huge they are, not a lot was actually made in the UK. They don't make a huge amount here. Yeah. It's made overseas. Yeah. I don't think you can tax them on their overseas profits. Yeah, this is why the the method to tax these, I think I briefly mentioned this before. It's why the method to tax these companies can't be profit-based. It has to be targeting uh, the just the general supply chain. So any time that they're interfacing with the UK, it should cost them. Okay. When they when they are using UK oil fields, it should cost them. We shouldn't be paying them to use our oil fields, which is what we do in some instances. And and it, it's a similar situation to 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 most infrastructure things. There are far more ways to either reduce the taxpayer burden or to increase the cost to these companies in ways that they cannot dodge because it is very difficult to dodge the UK for some of these companies. And we, you can increase their taxes here or there or increase their expenses here or there or lower their subsidies here and there. And it will all help the taxpayer. So while Labour's plan might be a bit superficial and they probably need it to be because they're never actually going to get the plan into action and they just want headlines, there are many ways to do this that do target these companies um, and instead, and it would lower their profits by getting their systems earlier to be taxed and to be more expensive. Okay, let's talk about freedom of speech and move on to first of all Salman Rushdie, who a week ago, oh yeah, okay, was stabbed while speaking at an event in New York State. He was stabbed ten times in the neck, the abdomen, and the face. And as of a few days ago, he had reportedly been taken off a ventilator in a hospital yeah. and was able to talk again. So Salman Rushdie is the author who for decades has faced uh, death threats for his novel, The Satanic Verses, which I think came out in the 80s. Wait, he's got, he's got, a, he's got a lump sum on his head. He's yeah. got like more than three million or something yeah. so uh, reward in his head. Some Muslims see this uh, satanic verses as blasphemous. Yeah. And in the 80s, it was the Iranian Ayatollah who issued a fatwa, which was basically, yeah. if you kill this man for us, we'll give you millions of dollars. Now, the Iranian government no longer promises that, but I think like, but, <laughs> some head of the religion has just made that, mon- that a sum even higher or something. Yeah, so the 24-year-old who was arrested, Hadi Matar, he has pleaded not guilty to attempted murder. Uh, <laughs> in an interview with the New York Post, he said he had read two pages of the oh, satanic two verses. Pages. Two yeah, he's, whole he's, pages. He's really informed then. Yeah, his uh, Salman's <laughs> agent said that the novelist had suffered severed nerves, damage to his liver, and would likely lose an eye. And wow. this has then, of course, prompted discussion about freedom of speech and freedom of writing what you want. The book itself was published in 1988, uh, as I mentioned there, and you talked about the Iranians. It was the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini who issued that fatwa. And as you've talked about there, it is still technically active. Yeah, technically although active. the government has distanced itself from that uh, decree. Uh, an extra half a million dollars was added to that reward about 10 years ago. There was some accusations aimed at the Iranians in the wake of this. And uh, in response, they said something like, no one should be attacked uh, in this savage way. 
But if anyone was going to get it, it should have been him. <laughs> I mean, no, you know, I've said similar things, so I, I'm not judging them there. Right. So what's your what's your take on this? And we'll talk about uh, as much less serious, but the uh, Edinburgh Fringe cancellation in just a second. It is always going to be incredibly upsetting when people try to exert their religious beliefs onto others in any violent way or any manipulative way. Uh, And this is definitely both a violent and a manipulative way to exert religious beliefs, right? And it kind of applies to non-religious beliefs to some degree. Um, Until you're talking about things like exerting people's like right to things like human rights in general stuff like that um but when it when it's a religious belief and it is just a personal thing um it it, in it is horrible when people are harmed by it and the the really difficult part is that for the people of that religion they don't think it's a personal thing yeah and they don't think it's just a religious belief they think it is like the fundamental human way and the fund and the, the thing that they live for um, and it is hard to imagine a future where we don't have that problem, where we don't have these people seeing their beliefs as the truth that needs to be respected by everyone, even people who aren't of that religion. Um, and it would it will take a whole lot of investment publicly to try and uh, change the way the whole world sees religion, which seems impossible. So while everyone has a right to to, you know, write whatever books they want everyone has a right to say the things they want there will always be this turnaround when it comes to religion um and when it comes to these uh, beliefs that supersede individual and i i hope that people continue forever to have the courage to write these brave texts that challenge things and especially challenge religion even if it means that they're going to be forever under the threat of violence because we need those brave people to do those things so that we can have more awakening and we can have more critique of religion and we can have more rational thought. But I don't see the violence really turning down anytime soon, which just is horrible. Okay, before I I weigh in, because I... I feel I'm on safer ground with the the comedy aspect. Let's talk about Jerry Sadovitz. So this is the okay. uh, comedian whose Fringe show was cancelled after one performance because the Pleasants venue said it featured extreme racism and misogyny. Right. So he had uh, two nights at the festival. Uh, first one happened, and then the evening or perhaps it was the morning before the second show it got scrubbed and the venue itself said it was because of an unprecedented number of complaints okay uh mr sadowitz said he had left the venue with no hint of anything going wrong and he said that uh, his act had been cheapened and simplified by the decision Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of he said she said or he said they said in this uh this (laughs) story what I have read, and this is, I believe, why the Pleasants pulled the show, he called Rishi Sunak the uh, the P-word, the four-letter slur, and he also got his penis out on stage. Oh. oh. So that is allegedly why. Now, what I would say to this, before I, I get your, your take on this, is that Jerry Sadowitz is... That is his shtick. His shtick is to offend people. Yeah. To push the boundary as far as he can. I am going to censor this line, but his uh, previous show started started with this line. 
Nelson Mandela. What a... <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> and that's his thing. So, as much as I think there is this general consensus that using racial slurs is just an absolute no-go, particularly if you're a 61-year-old white man. Yeah. And I've said this before. Either everything is funny or everything is, is on, is okay to joke about, even if you find it deeply unpleasant and deeply offensive yourself, either everything, you, you can say it, of course there's going to be consequences, but you can say it, or, or otherwise, you know, where's the line? Right. So as much as I think that what he said and what he did in that show is horrendous, it's his. It's like his shtick. And if he wants to say those words, if he wants to be a, a big racist uh, for the sake of being funny, first of all, surely there's other material material that's funny other than having to resort to being racist and getting your, your wang out on stage. But I do feel like pulling the show was a step mm. too far. But you may have a, dis- a different opinion. Well, the big thing about shows getting pulled, this is... Like I just, I just don't care. It's hard for me to care about people losing a gig because right. it's a. Part, okay, it's okay. A, no, I, I agree. I don't care either. But what, what about the precedent? But it's a pre- the precedent is that a private establishment is allowed to book who they want and also cancel the bookings of who they want. Oh yeah. I think yeah. Th- the trouble here is the word "cancelled" has been so uh, muddied by the different meanings now because it has the meaning of being cancelled as a person Twitter cancelled person person who'd cancelled where like a show getting cancelled is nothing and I'm sure he's pretty used to his shows getting cancelled a venue booking him where they didn't quite understand what his what his shtick was and then finding out what it is and going eh okay we can't actually support this so I don't understand the the comedy well enough to like give an input on it maybe he is being a really good satirist right on that kind of person the the just the really privileged and also horribly depressed and ridiculous person that he's on stage being right so so if i can his act is playing this hate-filled yeah yeah, yeah, slash yeah, yeah. self-hating uh old man but to add to that comment, there was someone from the, the owner of the Glasgow Pavilion who spoke to the BBC and said, uh, after the last visit of Mr. Sadowitz to the theatre, it's not a show we would ever take again. Uh, in my belief, there has to be limits on contents and uh, at times. And the problem with Jerry is that you do not know what you are getting ever. And I think that's going to be the key part here is that, sure, it, it, like satirizing those characters or those actual people is important. It has to also feel like satire, which I'm thinking maybe it might not when it comes to this particular show. And that might be due to the fact that it is unpredictable and you might not know uh, what is actually just a joke and just what is somebody who's who's just done some deranged thing on a stage uh, that people might think is funny. Um, Comedians getting cancelled is the most ridiculous conversation to be having as often as we are. It is meaningless. Uh, and it's all the most privileged ones that are complaining about it. It's the ones that are getting booked for entire three-part Netflix specials that are complaining about having their careers jeopardized by sensitive snowflakes, yet they're richer than ever and more successful than ever. Okay. Um, this is a very particular 
particular flavor of it because it actually feels different. This doesn't just feel like Ricky Gervais making a, another bigoted joke on a stage and then complaining that people think it's insensitive. Ricky Gervais is an idiot when it comes to that stuff. This is actually interesting because it's a private show. Uh, I'm assuming it was very well marketed so that only people who were knowing it was going to be very offensive would have gone there. So the number of complaints surprises me. It may be the, the establishment that hosted it just hadn't done their research. Um, it is an interesting one, but I don't, I don't see this as some attack on freedom of speech or something. That's that's crazy. Sure, just to to come back to that, I agree that theaters and venues can decide who they want to have and who they want to to avoid having, and they can cancel shows. That's fine. To me, it's the fact that the Pleasant said, "Oh, it, it was it was the content that we actually thought was too extreme," and then there's the interpretation of, "Okay, are you silencing Mr. Sadowitz because of what he said, yeah, like, or are you just cancelling the show because you didn't like it?" And of course, they've 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 given a statement that just doesn't really say much. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, we can project these. This is a t- an attack on his freedom of speech stuff. But no, if they just didn't like the content and they didn't want it on an, on their stage, that's up to them. That's fine. If someone came into my house and I th- and they thought they were being funny, but they were just being mildly racist, I'm allowed to ask them to leave. Same goes for a private business. Um, so 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 like it's it's always difficult, and I, and I think people are tying freedom of speech as a discussion far too heavily into these comedians shows because they're paid to be funny and if people are finding them funny that's great but if the host isn't it's up to the host (laughs) if the host thinks this this isn't worth it for me all these people laughing i'm not finding it funny though the host can can just cancel them the next day and that's fine Okay, let's move on and talk about COVID. How about that? This is the story that research has found that people living in the most deprived areas of Scotland were two and a half times more likely to receive a fine than anyone else during COVID lockdown. So more than 20,000 people got police fixed penalty notices uh, during 2020 and uh, 2021 for breaking various restriction rules. Three quarters of those fines, uh, according to this Edinburgh University study. Three quarters were given to people under the age of 30. Okay. And more than one in four were handed out in the 10% of the most deprived areas mm-hmm. in the country. Responding to this, the Scottish government said its rules had been consistent right. uh, across the board, okay. were proportionate, were necessary. And at the start of the pandemic, the figures were even more stark. If you were in a deprived area, it was 12 and a half times more likely okay. right. that you would you would get a fine. What's your what's your take on all this? Well, uh, my 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 first question would be: Is this just one of those fancy stats that just shows you a population map when you really think about it? Like, is it just the fact that if you are in a deprived area, you're also twelve percent more or twelve times more likely to encounter a policeman? <laughs> you know, right? Uh, so I, I I really would like to know the social differences between how likely was it that uh, someone in a deprived area was breaking the rules compared to somebody in a non-deprived area? Is it just the police presence uh, that w- that makes the difference? Or was there actually a, a difference in the way people acted? And maybe, and I'm sure there there is in some ways a difference between, let's say, the, the actions of people under 30 and people over 60. One of those groups is obviously more likely to try to go out partying and raving than the other. Right. 60-year-olds are mental. Um, but... <laughs> 
the policing is is an interesting one because they are obviously going to interface more often with the communities that they were interfacing with the most before the pandemic. So maybe there is unfairness there that just because people are in deprived and uh, poor areas where crime rates are higher and police presence is higher, therefore the, <laughs> they end up getting more fines or caught more often doing things that is national, that, that isn't just about being poor and isn't just an inevitability of growing up in a deprived area. So it's interesting. It's an interesting one. Yeah. But I'd, I'd, I'd really uh, like to see more of the stats than just like population stuff. Because this this was what I was reading into it, which is, okay, the stats show that this is what factually happened. Yeah. But the research was unclear as to why. Yeah. You know, was was that the case? That, I want to know why. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if they've got the data for that. But no. to me, it was a question of okay. Number one, as you mentioned, is it because in these areas there is a higher proportion of crime, and the police are likely to be there more often than they are in, say, Park Circle? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in Glasgow, if if everywhere was policed as heavily as the deprived areas are policed, then there would be a bunch of rich people complaining all the time. Yeah, because I don't think, and this is simply my observation. I don't believe that people in deprived areas broke the rules more than it. anywhere else. If anything, the people who were in the, the the top 10% probably did it more because they could oh, afford it. Yeah, they can afford to host them massive parties every single weekend and weekday. Right. So so that that's why I'm I, I talked about this story because it's just interesting that if that's the reality, across the board people generally broke the rules across every area of society. But the people at the bottom end were the ones who were penalised far more heavily for it. And why that is, I don't know. I don't think it's because they broke the rules more. I doubt they did. I think it's because the police were there more but, yeah. than they were in the, the top 10%. But, th- but then there's also questions arising that's not fair. as to why people in deprived areas might have to be breaking those rules more often. Because the, the, the limitations on where you could go and who you could meet were very strict. If you weren't like a primary caregiver that is fully registered, you're not allowed to visit, right? But a lot of poorer families and people in deprived areas have a, have more of a community focus to taking care of people. Uh, they have to because they can't afford to do anything else. So therefore, they're more likely to be breaking rules just to check in on a neighbor, make sure that their neighbor is doing okay. Uh, they're more likely to be breaking rules trying to like do some babysitting for some family who can't afford to quit one of their two jobs. And that stuff became illegal overnight. Whereas for richer communities, you can pay for the same babysitters you always have. And you've got caterers like you always have and all of these different things. So that there, there is this question of how much, same as with things like theft, how much of that is just actually completely justified and understandable because of the inequality of the nation? Okay. And therefore, why are they getting punished <laughs> to the same degree as everybody else? Maybe crimes should be punished proportional to the privilege of the person right. and the wealth of the individual. Let's go down under and talk oh, about... Oh boy, that was terrible. That was... Actually, now we finish the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's talk about the Australian former Prime Minister Scott Scott Morrison, who uh, secretly assumed three roles. Yeah, I was was satirising you, and therefore my freedom of speech is more important than your freedom of speech, because you were just racist, Uh, where I was satirising racism. Right, okay. 
Fine. Scott Morrison, former Prime Minister, in this story, <laughs> described racist. by the current Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, as just weird. Just weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned out that Scott Morrison, the former Prime Minister in Australia... He was already weird. Indeed. Took on three secret roles <gasps> in government. So he became... It's almost like he was a bit authoritarian. Secretly, he became the Joint Minister for Health... The Joint Minister for Finance wow. and Resources in these uh, in the two years before he lost power in May. So he's de- declined to comment. Of course he has. But it turned out that on on Monday, the Governor General David Hurley, who's the Queen's representative in Australia, confirmed that he had signed an administrative instrument that allowed Mr. Morrison to secretly take on these portfolios, according to Section 64 of the Constitution. But of course, this has now come out, and the current Prime Minister, Mr. Albanese, law experts, Mr. Morrison's former colleagues, have all now criticised, first of all, why, but second of all, the secrecy around it. Because it turns out, some of the ministers were reportedly unaware that they were now sharing portfolios and sharing decisions with the former prime minister. Oh, boy. This is wild. Yeah. I mean, and it's similar to what we've talked about. Um, It's just if if he knew it was an okay thing to do, he wouldn't be doing it secretly. Like, he clearly knew it wasn't an okay thing to do, so he was doing it really secretly. And therefore, obviously, he's not going to comment. Obviously, he's going to try and hide it. What on earth was he doing? (laughs) But he's just like he was. He's uh, the whole time he was just a crazy person who was who had power because of lobbies, and that's about it. Yeah. So, local media reported that the former health minister Greg Hunt had agreed in 2020 to share his portfolio in the event he became unwell from COVID, but the then finance minister Matthias Corman only learned last week that the same thing had happened to him. And Keith Pitt, who was the resu- uh, resources minister, resources. Uh, was also yeah. a joint minister alongside Mr. Morrison. Yeah. And he, the Prime Minister, used his powers to block a gas exploration licence in New South Wales, a decision which had been opposed by the actual minister, Mr. Pitt. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's not letting his... Absolutely insane. Yeah, but you know what? The more infighting in, in the in the less functional parties, the better. Hopefully, this is uh, this this doesn't just get stuck to the boy himself because there was an infrastructure that allowed it within the party. Let it happen, and somehow that secret was kept from others within the party. And if they can do some infighting and just never agree again, that would be great. Yeah, my take on this is other than it being just wild. It would be somewhat normal for a leader to, to make sure that someone can, you know, step up, do the job. Well, yeah, yeah, if a yeah, minister yeah, is, but not themselves. Is, inca- is incapacitated because of a pandemic. But there are so many other ways of doing this. And why did it have to be him? That's the point, yeah. And, wh- because all of- <laughs> and why, was it, why did it have to be secret? In, in any political system, all of these leaders are figureheads of a whole team of people doing the jobs. And it is usually the people that are not seen that are doing the most work and any one of them could have stepped up and been like i'm the team lead until he's back from covid you know yeah yeah and they would have done a far better job as well so it's just it's just this 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 what you see in in right and right-leaning leaders they're always just a little bit more authoritarian and they and they act like they're not uh, <laughs> because they want their fingers in all the pies they want control uh, and it is, it is something we've seen in the UK, something we've seen in the US, and now we're seeing it in Australia. They just 
cannot let go of the idea that the more power they have, the better it will be for them. And that is, in my opinion, what this was. It was just somebody who needed to be controlling a situation. You yeah. couldn't trust some nameless underling. <laughs> he, well, clearly, he just didn't have faith in his own government. Obviously. I mean, why would you? Wow. It's a conservative-leaning government. Okay, let's talk about the President of the United States, Joe Biden, who this week signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law after a year. Wow, what a name. I know, very catchy. A year of debates over costs, taxes, tax credits, regulations. Oh, man, yeah. Finally got signed, which, I mean, it's it's pretty reduced from his, ori- yeah. his original plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's missing a lot of very key parts. Essentially, what this is would be uh, a near $400 billion investment in climate and energy policies, $64 billion for... With other things as well. $64 billion for the Affordable Care Act, and a 15% corporate minimum tax aimed at all companies that earn more than a billion dollars a year and it's expected to raise them all move their headquarters (laughs) it's expected to raise uh, a huge amount of revenue over the next decade it did take a long time to get over the line but uh, but here we are yeah and this one one for starters the small thing the 15 percent corporate tax uh, biden is pushing for this to be a kind of a global thing which would be great this could be a stepping stone to corporation tax going up just across the board in any significant country um, which would mean that there's just going to be less of an ability for the big cor- corporations to dodge tax. They can't just do it by moving their headquarters to Ireland anymore and stuff like that. Um, so if that's a stepping stone there, it would be great. The bigger one for me is that this is the biggest uh, bill that we're going to see on climate in America for decades. This is a yeah. huge one as far as uh, climate change goes as far as funding for green energy and stuff goes, and just generally changing the way things are run in the United States. And again, a lot of the stuff they're doing is a copy-paste of what other countries already have done, but it, it brings the the big coal-burning country of the United States level in those ways, and it could be another stepping stone to further progress in the US and worldwide. And you were asking for silver linings previously on the podcast about the state of the world. Here's one of them. The U.S. has made huge structural change that is going to be long-lasting and is just the first step. And even though the coal companies are getting given a bunch of money and support and the oil companies are getting the same, all thanks to one Democrat whose name is on the bill, um, Okay, it is huge. And we are going to see a shift in the states towards green energy that is never been seen before, even with all the parts that Biden had to drop. And you know it's a good bill because one month ago, it still looked dead. Two weeks ago, it still looked dead. It was only last week that finally something happened, a deal was made, and they found some way to bring this thing forward. Um, So for it to have been so killed by the coal and oil lobbies that it genuinely didn't look like it was going to pass you know it's good. So it is It is encouraging to see, and I hope we see more things like it. We won't see anything like it from the US for a long time. Maybe okay. in the UK we'll see more reform. Maybe worldwide we'll see more reform. But if we can just keep pushing, we'll maybe not all die, So you know, in the next 50 years. <laughs> just, be- just before we, we wrap up this segment, of course, Biden was making a big song and dance about the fact that no Republicans had backed it in Congress or in the Senate. Yeah, of course they had. And they all voted for what he called special interests, so the uh, the big corporations. I have not kept tabs 
on any uh, right-wing voices about how they reacted to this. Do you have any idea on how they were uh, pitching this this bill? Well, so amongst all of the Trump stuff that's going on right now and their diversions and trying to uh, ruin any sort of decent conversation about anything most of this was just talking about how big of a how big of a failure biden is rather than oh hang on someone at your door most of this was just trying to talk about how big of a failure biden is rather than trying to actually talk about the bill itself um and they were mostly trying to act like it won't affect it's called the inflation reduction act that label is a mistake because it doesn't necessarily target inflation very well and therefore the conservative talk back is just like this isn't going to do much about inflation and that's it i'll check my door it's my veg box so they should just leave it but i'll make sure they did (laughs) okay go get it Right, James, let's finish up. Let's talk about three more things, one of which will be what we've watched. But let's start by okay. uh, with the good news that Scotland has made public health history by making it law yes. for public settings to provide period products. So it's the first country in the world to protect the right to free sanitary products with new legislation that came in yep. and came into force this week, which means that councils and education providers have to make these items freely available to those who need them. So... Uh, this has it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's, that's good. So this has uh, been a, a long-standing campaign well done, the Labour Party. from Labour MSP Monica Lennon, who uh, campaigned and began campaigning several years ago, was unanimously backed in the Scottish Parliament in 2020, yep. and now is which we talked about law. So uh, this is good. It's a big milestone. Yeah, we talked about it before. We talked about the benefits of it before. People who are just happen to be born with. The need to bleed should be not taxed especially uh, deliberately just for, you know, products that keep that sanitary for everyone. So good on them. This is this is an act that is genuinely equality in action. People acting like uh, the fight for equality was done 30 years ago. Hey, we're still finding new ways to make society more equal for everyone. Congrats. Yeah. So uh, it is great to have, see it actually progress from just being something that is agreed upon and is getting worked into law to be actually the law now. And I hope that other countries can follow us. Yeah. So it was the uh, the charity He Girls. I did some work with them a few years ago. They found that uh, before the pandemic, one in four women in Scotland had faced period poverty at some point. And by that, they mean yeah. going to the supermarket and have to actually choose choose whether you can buy pasta or a box of tampons that's how that's how basic yeah. it has been for yeah one one in four people in this country people who've had to use you know newspapers stuffed into socks bread because yeah. they're cheaper than period products so this is this is a good uh, good news for people who have yeah had to be in that horrendous yeah. situation things that society has deemed to be critical for living which in this case we have deemed this to be critical for living there always should be a free option available. And this goes from massive amounts of infrastructure to things like period products. Okay, James, what have you been watching in the last eight days? I watched several things and finished none of them. Okay, now I was a good co-podcast host and I listened... I know you weren't. I listened to your (laughs) order to go and watch Prey. And so I did... Mine was easier. It's just a better show. (laughs) 
Right, so uh, Prey, as you discussed on the show yeah. last week, uh, dear listener, you can go watch this on Disney+. Plus. It is a prequel to the Predator movie from the 80s, and it's almost entirely an indigenous Native American cast yeah. in this sci-fi horror set in the 1700s. So here's what was, uh, what was interesting to me. First of all, the director, Dan Trachtenberg, mm-hmm. whose other film is 10 Cloverfield Lane. A very good film. Which is very good. And so I saw that and thought, oh, okay, this guy. So, uh, yeah, as you said, okay. James, I totally agree. Excellent. Really enjoyed it. And you could tell within the opening good. five minutes that it was going to be a more thoughtful, different movie yeah. to the other Predator films in this franchise. And yeah, I thought the slow reveal of the, the big monster was nicely done. You know, you didn't really see him for the first half of the movie yeah i liked that a lot i thought amber mid-thunder as the lead comanche character naru was uh fantastic from start to finish i don't know if she's done other things but she's she's in a few things i'm sure we will see more of her yeah she's in a show that i'm currently watching actually okay i didn't know that Uh, there's a couple very nice set pieces in the in the film and a few what appear to be one take action sequences kind of hand-to-hand combat very well done action sequences i don't think i gave them enough credit so there was a couple where i actually there was one which at the end of it the final kind of blow and i went because it was just awesome it was really nicely done yeah and sure i mean which one was that it was um fighting the french canadian uh voyageurs in oh. uh, as she was attempting to retrieve her doggo. Yeah, such such a such a good sequence. Yeah. So whilst this film does tell a familiar story of you know the yes. underappreciated, determined young person proving themselves to the naysayers by yeah, yeah, going yeah. to do something impossible against the odds, it does so in a new way with new voices, a new story, and I enjoyed it very much. So if you are and, and honestly, the gore aspect of it was not that bad. I guess there was a couple scenes which were a bit it's like... a wee bit here and there. Yeah, yeah, a couple scenes where I thought, okay, that was a bit nasty. But if you can handle a little bit of blood and the occasional beheading, then <laughs> you'll really enjoy it. I certainly did. So, yeah, add that to your list, listeners. Pray on Disney+. Plus. Nice. I'm glad you liked it. Okay, have you uh, started anything which is worth sharing? Wait, no, wait, wait, wait. What did you think of the, like, the male lead? I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was fine. I don't think he was particularly outstanding, but for a first movie, what? great. Yeah, Good job. Just, he used to just work in a supermarket kind of feel. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think it was his opening lines. You could tell, like, okay, this guy clearly has not acted he before. De- he, definitely, he definitely was better at other scenes yes. than, his, than his first ones. It definitely sets you off a bit like, oh, and then and then he picks up. He, he definitely improved as the, as the movie went on. There is one other TV yeah, show yeah, that yeah. myself and Graham have started. I would like to say a few words on okay. it because I don't think we're going to finish it. It is oh. <laughs> the third season of The Umbrella Academy. Oh, no. Right. Have you, have you started watching it? I have not. Okay. To summarize, ladies and gents... This is the uh, the Netflix show, which the, the first season I thought was pretty good. Second season I thought was largely good, but it had a few missteps and fart jokes, which I thought were rubbish. That was, t- yeah, really bad. And this is the uh, the show which is now headlined by Elliot Page, the former Ellen Page. And what I dislike about the show, though, is the fact that in the opening, I think maybe four or five minutes, you can tell 
that they just have not given the show the budget it used to have. Oh. There's a scene where one of the characters does a backflip. Oh, dear. And oh no. it appears as if just for a few seconds, it's gone into like 3D paint on Microsoft mode and suddenly he floats down in this ethereal way rather than, you know, what an actual human being would do. Actually a backflip. And, there's, yeah, and okay. this is, this oh, is no. throughout the show. It's not particularly enjoyable. Graham fell asleep in the second episode and honestly, if I never had to watch this show again in my life, I would be okay with it. All right, so we'll a see. Shame. It promise. We'll see. And if 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 you do have time to watch it, I would be interested in your take even if you watch an episode or two and then decide, okay, you know what? Nah, oh, it's enough. Okay. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's a funny one because the show tries to be dark but also funny, but it's like slapstick goofy funny rather than like an actual dark kind of funny, so it doesn't really it's always had a bit of dissonance there and they haven't quite navigated it too well before. So if they've kind of just also lost a lot of their budget on top of that, it's going to be clunky. <laughs> yeah, and the wig that they give uh, Elliot Page for the character of Vanya is awful. I could have made a better oh, one. No. They do handle the oh, transition no. uh, nicely. It is worked into the show. But um, yeah, not great. Not great. Okay. Okay, what about you? Anything worth sharing? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Okay, well, dear listener, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just still thinking about prey. But oh, okay, well, dear listener, if you have watched anything, a movie, a TV show, or as Amel told me this morning, as she's going to go see a play tonight, oh, review a play. Nice. You can send it to us audio form or in the written word, cseparate at gmail.com, or you can just send it to me directly if you're one of the chosen few who have my uh, my contact details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, one final story before we wrap up. Let's talk about the Oscars, who this week, okay. the Academy Awards, uh, the body themselves, issued an apology 50 years after an incident at the awards in 1972. So they apologized mm. to the Native American actress Sachin Littlefeather. Yeah. Who, if you recall, and there's footage of this online, uh, yeah. accepted an award, or rather rejected an award, which was meant to be for Marlon Brando, yeah. who had won Best Actor. Sorry, it was 1973. And Brando had sent Littlefeather in his place as a protest against the treatment and stereotypical portrayal of Native Americans by the film industry in the 70s. Now, right. he had given her a long speech, but the activist uh, and actress Littlefeather was only allowed a minute to relay his sentiments to an estimated 85 million viewers. She refused to accept the statue, and uh, although there was some clapping, she was booed by people in the audience. So now, 50 years later, the Academy has now apologised and acknowledged that it led to her being professionally boycotted, personally attacked and harassed, and discriminated against for the last 50 years. And in response, she basically said, she's now 75, she uh, now said, better late than never. I mean, that is generous at best because it is way too late you've completely wrecked somebody's career because they they protested being stereotyped 50 years later saying sorry i would expect a bit more than just like oh our bad yeah in a statement she said uh, regarding the apology we indians are very patient people it's only been 50 years we (laughs) need to keep our sense of humor about this at all times it's our method of survival so taking it good point uh, wow! On the chin, by the looks of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she, like she, well, on the chin because they couldn't reach any higher. That's the, the they are definitely elevating themselves with that statement. 
Okay. Right, James, uh, let's bring the show to a close. For good. Well, not for good. For real. <laughs> not for <laughs> for good. good, you slipped it out. Oh, no. Uh, that's my subconscious talking. We're never going to make it to 300. Oh, gosh. Okay, thank you very much for listening. James, thank you for your time. Dear listener, if you have anything to add to any of our conversation today, you can do so. Seesawparade at gmail.com. Seesawparade on Twitter. Or just message either of us directly. That'd be nice. Friends. Sure thing. Yeah. Okay. You have a good week, Chimbo, and oh, uh, go and see the sun again. Mm, if it if it if it's there, the big, the big birdie ball in the sky, not the not the newspaper. <laughs> well, oh yeah, or my my children. <laughs> okay, that you know of. I'm sorry. <laughs> bye. Well, yeah, I'm not Boris. Uh, <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>